Well, it's our privilege this morning to hear Brandon Edmonds uh, bring God's word to us. We are looking into the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, we are trying to hope uh, in the gospel, even as we are reading this Old Testament wisdom literature. And uh, Brandon, I appreciate you bringing God's word to us. Uh, it, is, it is an honor for us. Uh, Brandon is studying, uh, working on his Ph.D. in theology. And uh, we really have a theologian in our midst. A theologian is, is somewhat like an electrician. Um, we all know basically how to change light bulbs and perhaps turn the, the panel off. And if you're working on electricity, that's always a, a good idea. Um, but an electrician knows how to rewire the house, uh, knows how to think through what, what's going on here and, and get things up and going. So we are grateful. Uh, Brandon is an instructor with our school, and he teaches the... Uh, well, Secondary age kids, uh, seventh through twelfth uh, grade, and uh, so we're we're grateful for Brandon working with these students. Uh, our family has uh, seen just our own daughter uh, grow tremendously uh, through his ministry. So the word of God uh, comes to us today from Ecclesiastes, the last part of chapter one and the and uh, chapter two. So hear the word of God. The preacher have been king in Israel, in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over me, uh, over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself, but behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold of folly. Till I, may, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks. More than any who had been before me in Jerusalem, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure." For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. 
Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. As there is more gain in light than in darkness, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and striving after wind. I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair. Over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him who can eat or who can have enjoyment. For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brandon. Well, it's a joy to be here and to bring God's word uh, to you. Please pray with me as we ask uh, God to bless the preaching of his word. Heavenly Father, you have given us your words, and we are but your servants. I pray that you would use my words to encourage your people. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convey your word to our hearts, that as we have read, we will understand, and as we have understood, so we will do. I pray that you would... Uh, Guide us as we seek to find meaning in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, Ecclesiastes is a book that I very much enjoy teaching and preaching on, and uh, it is a, a mouthful. It is a, uh, a handful to try to uh, make sense of all this, and our task in some ways would be a lot easier if uh, this had just been left out, um, if we could somehow just move straight from Proverbs where it tells us wisdom is a good thing, uh, if we could just you know, blow on by Ecclesiastes to Song of Solomon and look at uh, marital love, we'd have an easy time of it, uh, or an easier time perhaps. Um, instead, uh, here we have uh, the teacher, the king of Israel, or the preacher, uh, staring headlong into the void Uh, saying, I am going to take all of this in. I'm going to try to figure it out. And uh, as I did when I was teaching, I want to encourage you to think that he is not taking any shortcuts. Uh, The book of Ecclesiastes is not one that we can just read over and go, oh, that was was nice. Isn't this wonderful? Uh, Jesus loves us, let's move on. Certainly, there's a sense we can do that. We don't have to be uh, experts in the book of Ecclesiastes to to live a fruitful life uh, in the gospel. But uh, we will have an easier time of it if we can uh, look uh, into the same void that the preacher did. And by the way, I think it's Solomon. uh, and, And find that, yes, it's true. Everything he says about the world, everything he says about finding all of these things, pleasure, uh, wisdom, work, everything he says is true. They are fleeting. They are breath. They are absurd. They are uh, things that make you just want to give up. I'm going to counsel you not to leave during uh, the middle of the sermon and to wait until the very end because, uh, well, I'll just spoil it now. Uh, We are going to find meaning. Uh, That is not the end of of the story of Ecclesiastes. And at the risk of uh, sucking the wind out of our sails as we uh, continue on a long journey of Ecclesiastes, at the very end, uh, the teacher looks and says, there is meaning in serving God. And God gives us meaning, and uh, I'll be looking at that, which just kind of would have been such a a much more tense, uh, edge-of-your-seat kind of sermon if you thought, where is he going with this? Maybe maybe there is no meaning, but I don't want to leave you there. Uh, Make for a a great speech and a lousy sermon. Uh, If I was to summarize uh, the single-line thesis of this sermon, it would be this. Pleasure, accomplishment, and wisdom for their own sake or for our sake are meaningless. But we instead find meaning in the gospel, which then in turn gives meaning back to those things. I'll say that again for those of you who take notes. Pleasure, accomplishment, and wisdom for their own sake or for our own sake are meaningless. But we instead find meaning in the gospel, which then gives these things meaning.
As we unpack this, we're going to see a couple of things. Anything done on this earth is meaningless in itself. And then there is the big cloud over Ecclesiastes. Death erases any gains that are found in pleasure, wisdom, accomplishment, you name it. Death stands uh, ready to erase what's been done before. And we, we heard the preacher talking about that, saying, I don't know who's coming next. I might do something good, but what's the next guy going to do? He might wreck it all. And so we get this refrain, all of life is vanity. Pastor Todd talked last week about how uh, uh, the word is, the Hebrew word for breath. Everything is a breath. And uh, if you can remember the moment at which he said, to, now remember this one breath. Um, I would challenge us that we might remember it. We have no memory at this point a week later of exactly which breath it was we took. There's that shortness, that brevity, that fleeting quality to life. Another possible translation for vanity, vanity of vanities, is absurdity. Uh, absurdity of absurdities, or, or you could say everything is ridiculous. The teacher stands at the beginning and says, everything's ridiculous. I look at everything in the world and it's just silly. It is absurd. And so we come to our text where he says, I, having been king over Jerusalem, decided to go on a quest, a quest to find meaning. And I am going to use every uh, means at my disposal to find some shred of meaning in this dark and dreary and absurd world. And so he sets out. Um, there are a couple different theories of uh, who wrote uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, we have at the beginning of chapter 1 that this is the preacher or the teacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Uh, from that, we know it's a Davidic king. Uh, now, some have suggested that this is somebody using the voice of a king. Um, you can talk to me about afterwards. I, I don't buy that. Um, and when we look at this, Solomon fits like a glove. There are scholarly objections. I won't bore you with them, but Solomon fits. In Solomon, we have a person given wisdom by God, wisdom beyond anyone else. Uh, the word of God says that Solomon received wisdom beyond anybody who came before or after, that he was uh, the wisest man on the face of the planet. And here, here you have this man standing and saying, I'm going to try to find meaning in something. And so he starts out with pleasure. And he says, I said in my heart, this is verse 1 of uh, chapter 2. Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Um, that sounds like a fun thing to me. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to see, okay, I'm going I'm to see what life is like to just live according to pleasure. Now, I like pleasure. I, um, I really enjoy it. Uh, I like good food. I like good 
drinks, coffee, wine, etc., in moderation, of course. Uh, the king here says, I'm going to remove that moderation part. I'm just going to run with it. I am going to go with this and see what the depth of pleasure can give me. And uh, now as I was teaching this to my 11th grade students, uh, they're reading this and they're saying, hey, he's not trying hard enough. I mean, if, it, if, if that was me, you know, I, I'd show him. I know, I'd show him how it can be done. And uh, I think the younger we are, the more that's true of us. You, you know, you give a, an eight-year-old the Toys R Us catalog and you say, okay, I'm going to challenge you. Find something in this book that will bring you meaning. They don't even have to get to page two. Like they're, it's the second one. It's right there. Um, that's not going to bring you meaning. What do you mean? Like, you know, if I have one of those, I'm going to be happy. And then, of course, they get one, and, and they're like, oh, let's try the third thing, and then the fourth, and then the fifth. And then we work all the way to the end, and they're like, well, there's another one coming out next week. Don't worry. We'll find meaning. Solomon had as near to endless means at his disposal that there's ever been. 1 Kings 10, uh, verse 14. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 666 talents of gold. Now, I could just let that sit and you could go, oh, that's a lot of talents. Um, But I decided to to do a little conversion. And uh, that's 50,000 pounds of gold. Now, it goes on to say that that's not counting any of the tribute or kind of the the business-related stuff. Uh, This is his personal income because people think he's great. Uh, He is receiving 50,000 pounds of gold as his personal income. Um, That's to say nothing of the taxes. Uh, At the time, Israel was connecting two big empires. You have the Assyrians in the north, You have the Egyptians in the south, a lot of other people groups. In the middle, you had King Solomon. And King Solomon said, I'd like to tax you, please. And he did. And you read about uh, what was going on there. And Solomon had one of the most glorious kingdoms on the face of the planet. Itty-bitty Israel. Uh, receives world renown over the splendor of Solomon. Now, you might say, well, well, you know, money. Money can only get you so much. Well, Solomon also, it says in 1 Kings 1, moving up a little bit, now King Solomon loved many foreign women, uh, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, who was his first wife. He had Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart away after other gods. And he should have listened. It does happen. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned uh, away his heart. Here's a man who not only had money, he went after love and uh, if he didn't, you know, if he wasn't getting along with one wife that day, he had 699 more, uh, as well as concubines, who uh, was a harem 
simply for pleasure. Solomon had everything, and I would submit to you that Ecclesiastes is written at the end of his life when he reflects back, and he has lived the wild life. Um, He has seen uh, the absurdity of a life lived for the self and for pleasure. Now, we live in a world where we are constantly promised that we will receive meaning from pleasure. Uh, All you have to do is turn on the television. You will, in uh, several different flashing colors, in several different, uh, from the mouths of several attractive celebrities, um, sometime or very often now in silly, absurd ways, you will be promised something. One of my favorites is an old 90s series of commercials um, that started out with two good friends talking or one person talking to another, reminiscing about great times had in Italy, going to that restaurant, and then there was that waiter, and then the music starts playing, and they say, oh, yes, and uh, they're reminiscing about this great event, and you hear the familiar music, and it swells, and then they say, would you like a cup of General Foods International Coffees? Celebrate the moments of your life. And they're, oh, this is the best. Oh, this is just like that. This is wonderful. And it only has 60 calories. And, <laughs> and the idea presented in this little 25-second segment is that in this uh, sugary combination of bad instant coffee, uh, non-dairy creamer, and uh, some soy lecithin to give it kind of a creaminess in your mouth, you will find lasting satisfaction and joy. Now, in reality, you get this stuff, you pour it in, you're like, this is horrible. (laughs) Maybe if I put some more sugar in it. (laughs) But time and time again, we are presented with a message. This will give you meaning. Uh, Again, you go to young, you know, the younger ones. Well, if you give me a, mom, dad, you give me an iPad, my life will be great. And then they get one. And, or you can just tell them, well, I have one. And trust me, uh, it, it hasn't solved my problems. Um, uh, it is a lie of the world that in the next thing, whatever it is, that we will find pleasure that will last, that will change our lives forever and make our hearts glad. And it becomes more and more obvious the more you start seeing different things checked off your list you had when you were younger, saying, well, no, that didn't do it. That didn't do it either. Okay, I've only got about five things left on my list. Um, maybe, maybe if I move to Hawaii, yeah, <laughs> that'll solve my problems, right? You can... Now, the, the preacher has a problem. He, uh, he delves into all this pleasure. It doesn't, doesn't work. Wisdom stays with him. And the voice of wisdom shows him this is meaningless. This is a chasing after the wind. Uh, might be nice for a moment, but even the things that are nice for a moment, you have them 
20,000 times in a row, it loses its pleasure, and it becomes just passé. It becomes last year's thing. And what else is there? Well, for the teacher, there is nothing else. And so the teacher moves on. And he says, okay, maybe if I imagine my, or if I, maybe if I examine my life. Uh, Socrates says the unexamined life is not worth living. Um, Solomon, thinking along similar lines, thinks, maybe, maybe if, I, if I seek out wisdom, I will find meaning. And here we have something that's a bit more noble. We have not somebody who's just going out to party. We're not, they're not just going out to uh, fill their face full of pie uh, and uh, chocolate milk. They are going to think, to examine, to consider. They are going to step back from life, uh, to put on the black turtleneck and the beret. And, uh, and they are going to say, I stand above, and I am going to find meaning here. Well, if you happen to notice, for the first time ever in our bulletin, um, we uh, began our uh, reflections with Friedrich Nietzsche. And he says this, maybe the first time he's been quoted openly in our church, maybe not. Uh, By the way, it's there for contrast. Um, Keep reading. Uh, Meaning and morality of one's life come from within oneself. Uh, You can also find that in in Disney uh, movies. Uh, Any animated Disney movie will will tell you that. Healthy, strong individuals seek self-expansion by experimenting and living dangerously. Life consists of an infinite number of possibilities, and the healthy person explores as many of them as possible. Religions that teach pity, self-contempt, humility, self-restraint, and guilt are incorrect. Sound a little bit like the teacher going after all these things? The good life is ever-changing, challenging, devoid of regret, intense, creative, and risky. Frederick Nietzsche, just like Ecclesiastes, can be something we really don't want to stomach. And I remember in college, I would read guys like him, and I would want to throw him against the wall because he just made me angry. And as I become earlier, I want to you know, put my hand on his shoulder and say, you're right. Almost. You're not quite right. You're missing something. The teacher goes after wisdom. And uh, here we should understand this to, to be. He is considering the world as it is. Uh, there are many things you can say about biblical wisdom. Um, but when we look at the fool in the Bible, the fool is someone who goes after whatever is set before them without considering the consequences. And I'm going to try not to step on that until later when I want a real big boom. Um, uh, the fool is blind ignorant, does whatever is presented before them, goes after the adulteress on the street, goes after the quick promise of free money. Wisdom is made up of discernment and discretion. And it's discernment here that I think is uh, 
in mind. Discernment means seeing things as they really are. And the teacher does that. He stands back and he looks and he says, the world is a mess. I think I was happier before I stepped back and looked at this. And he actually says this in uh, 1 verse 18. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Now, he also says wisdom is better than folly. It's better to have some eyes in your head than to walk around blind in the dark. Um, And uh, wisdom results for the teacher in a smoother life. Um, One less controlled by sinful impulse, less surprised by the hardship of the world. Uh, We certainly see that in Proverbs. Um, Put another way, a wise person will... Uh, learn after one time walking into a glass door that I should open it before I walk through. The fool will continually walk against the glass door, breaking his nose time after time again. And the teacher is able to say, look, it is better to have wisdom. It's better not to continually walk into the glass door, breaking your nose. You're going to be better off if you have wisdom. But here, too, there is a problem. Just knowing that doesn't produce any meaning. Instead, quite the opposite. The teacher takes a good, hard look and says, I don't see it. I do not see meaning where I thought I might find it. And so the wisdom may smooth out life. It may make certain things easier. But it does not take away the reality of decay and death. And that same cloud that wrecked pleasure wrecks wisdom. And so he turns to work. Now, in many ways, this is the most noble. And I think for many of us, even those of us who really like pleasure, even those of us who really enjoy chocolate cake, uh, we're able to say, you know, work is a noble thing. Um, and uh, what we do, many of us in this room, it is you know, something we see as valuable. Well, the teacher sees, a, sees the th- same thing. Pleasure benefits for a moment, then the cake is gone. And even if there is another cake, well, it's only going to give me so much pleasure, and I, it's not enough to just go on spooning cake into my mouth when I see the cloud of death over me. So too, wisdom only allows him to see clearer the reality that is already there. It benefits the one who possesses it, but it doesn't really accomplish anything. Work at least changes the world around us. In work, we find that the teacher is able to accomplish something. And so perhaps there might be, uh, there might be some meaning there. But then so, too, there is the most ability to be tragic in its meaningless, in its absurdity. There's nothing, I think, more frustrating than watching something we have have done or made brought to nothing, destroyed, corrupted, 
If you've ever worked for two days on a paper or a project and you have crafted it and it is ready and your hard drive crashes. Or if you have, like many Hollywood movies around the holidays, baked the perfect prime rib and you've been ready and it smells so good and then you walk in and watch your dog or cat finish off the last bit or at least drag it around on the floor and you think, no, will they notice if I wash it? No, it's just gone. (laughs) Or if you have spent hours and hours and hours on a presentation, you're ready and you wake up and there is no denying that your throat is swollen shut that your eyes are red, that, uh, that your nose, even if everything else was okay, the pitch of your voice because of your plugged nose means you would be laughed at a bit as you try to convince others of your point. And work is brought to nothing. Matthew 6.19 says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. And we'll finish that thought later. You could add to that uh, mold, mildew, uh, volcanic dirt that gets all over everything after you've cleaned your nice white carpet and in comes your cute little child tracking mud across it. What the teacher says is that all all the work we experience, all that we put our hand to, all that we do is brought to nothing. It is a breath. It is here today, gone tomorrow, and in the end, it too is absurd. We see this in 2 verse 17. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity, all is absurd, all is a breath, and a striving after the wind. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Everything we do either is brought to destruction before our eyes, or it fades away into obscurity when we're gone. And so the end of work is the same as the end of wisdom or the end of pleasure. Now, why spend all that time building a beautiful building when you could just sit and have a piece of cake uh, and live in foolishness and the same fate, that same cloud of death, that same absurdity is present in everything. Meaning is not present because the efforts of the worker in the end come to nothing. Now, this is where I'd like to just kick the uh, microphone a couple times, have a few big booms, and then walk out. And uh, it would be a really, I think, uh, just rhetorically profound moment. But uh, I think I'd get fired as someone uh, who preaches the word. Um, 
The gavel has fallen for the teacher. He has looked at everything. And everything this world has to offer, everything we have to offer to put into this world, is shown to be ridiculous. But I'm not going to stop. To leave it here in the, uh, and echo that, just let that echo and, and walk out in silence uh, would make for a terrible sermon. Uh, the gospel is present. And we start getting little hints of that even in the midst of this text. Uh, even in this text, you have this interesting little statement that in verses 24 through 26, even though everything's meaningless, there is nothing better to do or nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in this, his toil. This, I saw, is from, from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? That's an interesting statement. I think Nietzsche would uh, disagree and say, no, I don't like that. Um, stop that. Uh, but I'm going to keep going. Uh, how do we find meaning? And it's recognizing that in the midst of all the absurdity we see before us, there is another reality that is present that is above even the cloud of death. You could say that behind the cloud of death shines the light of the gospel, that uh, God's purpose blazes through the clouds. And so it is there we find meaning. And if we look at uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, we get this summarized. What is the chief end of man? It's not work hard, get wisdom, have some fun. Uh, what is it? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is a statement of profound meaning, and it is based on uh, the biblical answer to the question of meaning and the problem of seeming meaninglessness. And so we see that work is redeemed as it becomes not about us finding meaning in our accomplishments, but about glorifying God. That is our chief end. And so we are told by Paul in 1 Corinthians 3, 9 and following, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By, God, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And here it comes. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, straw, hay, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. But we're going to keep reading. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. There we have it. There is meaning in what we do. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters. This is spoken to slaves, by the way. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving.
in toil that seems meaningless, we find that we are no longer trying to make a name for ourselves or discover meaning in our work. Instead, given meaning from Christ, we are building God's kingdom through everything that we do. So, too, wisdom is redeemed. Uh, We find that wisdom is not only about seeing the world as it is in front of us now. That same wisdom, if we take another step back and look not just at the absurdity of life, but if we look at the plan of God, we see the big picture and that all those little meaningless things work together for our salvation. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who, is, who are being saved, it is the power of God. And out of this, we have one of the most foolish-sounding things to somebody like Nietzsche in our bulletin printed right afterwards. Again, I, I put it there for the contrast. Nietzsche is, Nietzsche's bad. <laughs> uh, but here in Jesus, we see where meaning is found. Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? When the teacher went out to discover meaning, that is what he was missing, at least at first. That the reality is not just that we live in a fallen, broken world, but the reality is that God stands enthroned as king over all. That everything is working toward his glory, toward our good, And that in order to participate in that kingdom, we don't throw ourselves into pleasure. We don't uh, become reclusive philosophers. We don't become workaholics hoping against hope that our name will be engraved on a building, on a plaque that will endure. Instead, we find meaning through losing ourselves. Paradoxically, we give up pleasure, work, and wisdom, uh, or at least what they promise, and we embrace that I in myself am meaningless, and I am a breath. I am here today and gone tomorrow, except that if I am redeemed, I inherit all things in Christ. Matthew six nineteen, the other text in... Uh, are near another text in, in the, what we have. I have another text from Matthew 6 printed. But Matthew six nineteen, do not lay out for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. That's not the, the end of that statement. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
In our inheritance in heaven, we have lasting meaning. Uh, In losing ourselves, we gain all things far beyond what Solomon had in his glory. And Christianity thus does not leave us in a state of sorrow and dismay. We can look at that big, ominous cloud of death and decay, and it's the same cloud. But what seemed to us as something overwhelming, as something that covered all things, we've backed up a little bit and said, no, that's, that's only over... Uh, it's only over that one little hill. Uh, that's just over the Kotlaus right now. The wind's coming. It's going to blow it away. Finally, even pleasure is redeemed. As much as death is the shadow that clouds all of life under the sun with absurdity, the gospel, the coming glory we have in Christ, uh, the freedom we have in him, The coming triumphal return of the resurrected Jesus is the light that shines through. And in that, we have joy because we know that God is making all things new. That this meaninglessness itself is but a breath. That this struggle against absurdity and a ridiculous world is the temporary reality. And the lasting one is that for all time, we will stand before our Lord and Savior and with him enjoy eternity. This is our reality. In my final words, I want to say, if you're someone who has not found that joy, please talk to me, talk to Pastor Todd, one of our elders. Um, This is our free gift in Jesus Christ. The Lord of glory was born as a man, came as a man to die on the cross so that we could have a part in that reality. And it is free, and it means that no matter where you are, no matter what you see before you, God will accept you and give you a new life. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that in you we are secure. We thank you that in you we have a refuge. That in you, the ridiculous, the absurd, is shown to be meaningful in the hands of a master craftsman. We thank you that what seems like a breath is just a foreshadowing of eternity. That we are not, in the end, here today and gone tomorrow. Yes, our life here is that way. But you have made us for eternity to be with you. Reveal yourself to us. Reveal to us that source of joy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.